0: The last several weeks in our liturgy, we've been inching closer and closer to the end of our liturgical season. So many of the parables have been quite complex, focusing on our Lord's second coming. And today we kind of get a TV timeout or halftime break uh, to focus a little bit more on simple uh, praxis. And that uh, second coming is a bookend in history, right? The first bookend is the coming of our Lord in time in the incarnation as he uh, grew to full stature under the care of our Blessed Mother and Saint Joseph and eventually saved us through the cross and resurrection. And until Christ comes again, we have to live it out. For 2,000 years, the church has been struggling, trying to grow in holiness, and God inches us closer and closer, grace by grace, to the resurrection. That's the final culmination of things uh, for our theologians in the room future theologians that's eschatology right the study of the last judgment and the final things and so all of our readings all of our liturgy point us to that but today uh, Jesus reminds us what's really important uh, as we await that culmination of final things what are we to be doing how are we to be living he says two things are important guys love God with all your heart love your neighbor as yourself and that would have been a little bit shocking to his listeners he's talking to a scholar a teacher and remember the jewish ritual the jewish law observation of of holiness the holiness code they had 613 or more rituals or daily prayers or rites that that they had to prescribe and do uh, to attain holiness and that old covenant perfection jesus sums up in two uh, commands and i don't know how you feel about those two commands? I looked at uh, my life this week, and just this week, uh, very much uh, struggled in observing just two, right? Let alone 613. And so, it, it's, it's humbling uh, to look at that, how we're how we're doing. Uh, but I think it points to the doctrine, right? And we can never forget this doctrine of original sin. The reason why we struggle with concupiscence and sin is because of the consequence of our first parents. That's why Jesus comes in the flesh to redeem us and save us from that first sin. And if you went to daily mass this week, St. Paul is reflecting on that reality. He says, there's a law that wages war in my mind. I can never attain the good that I will to do. I, I never really do the good that I long to do, that I end up doing the evil that I don't want to do. And that dynamic he's outlining for us is that, that doctrine of original sin. But there's another doctrine that the church upholds, right? The law of grace, the law of the Spirit. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have a new law operative in our hearts, uh, that God's love poured into our spirits as we await that second coming and God moving us, inching us closer and closer to holiness. And there are signs, that this is active, that it's operative. Number one, the saints. Every generation produces saints. We've had saints in our generation. Right now we're getting a lot of beef in the media for the uh, scandals and all of that stuff, right? But we've seen uh, tremendous saints in our time. So God is still here. He hasn't abandoned us. For me, what's been um, inspiring to see God moving us towards the resurrection of the body is to study the incorruptibles, those saints that their flesh has not decayed yet. That's a sign of the future resurrection. We also uh, have Christ with us in the Eucharist, the Scriptures, and also, again, that spirit in the mystical body of Christ and in the sacraments. So little by little, God is strengthening us, inching, inching us away from original sin and that law of sin and death and moving us towards the law of grace. What I want to do a little bit is look at the first reading. The first reading is the prefigurement given to the Jews in the Old Covenant of what Jesus sums up here in the law. In the time of Moses, we have to reverse back in history right before Jesus, and God primarily worked outside of them to save them. Remember, they were slaves in Egypt. There was uh, treachery. There was drudgery. Uh, there was lots of pain, and, and the people cried out to God, even Moses. And eventually God heard their cry and set them free through mighty deeds and works that he, that he did for them in Egypt, the ten plagues. He sent the angel of death to save them uh, from the power of Pharaoh to bring him uh, to his knees. Not only that did it stop, but God led them by power and might through the staff of Moses, through the Red Sea, part of the Red Sea. And day by day provided sustenance, provided food, manna from heaven, um, uh, uh, the, the quail that they ate. But it didn't stop there, right? God continued to lavish his love upon them. He said, when uh, you fall to your sins through the biting of the serpents, I will heal you through uh, coming to faith through the the bronze serpents. And I will provide a place for you to rest uh, in the promised land. And day by day, I will be with you in a pillar of cloud uh, by night and a pillar of fire by day. So God was faithful to them each and every step of the way, but acted outside of them. So the reading that we heard, that first reading, is a reminder to the Israelite people not to get caught up in elitism, not to think that that salvation was just for them. When a, an orphan, when a wanderer, when a sojourner, when a pilgrim or somebody hurting wanders into your camp, the only condition that Yahweh or the Lord uh, put on them is love that stranger the same way that I loved you every step of the way. That's what that first reading is about it's profound and it seems evident to us but it was a struggle for them right and human nature we tend to get into that tribalism oh that person's a little bit different they look a little bit weird they have a beard or whatever we say or do right and we don't allow them to be in relationship with us okay and so god uh, through that first reading is reminding them uh, that part of the covenantal commandment is to be charitable but you and I belong to the new covenant, and the old fulfills, or is fulfilled by the new, and the promise is still given to us through the life-giving blood of Jesus. We already talked a little bit about that, of how they're connected. We already talked about how we tend in our daily lives to live that out. Just, again, examine your conscience. So what do we do? How do we live that out well? The second reading from the letter to the Thessalonians reminds us how to live it well. So St. Paul is preaching and teaching in Thessalonica, pagan territory, Macedonia, and Acacia. And he's telling his Christian community, especially those that he's in relationship with, that you are witnesses to a pagan people of the joy of the living spirit within you and the joy of Jesus Christ alive in your midst. And that's important because I think we as Christians, we need witnesses in our lives and people that have really challenged us, or really called us to live out the gospel in radical ways. So the question that I ask myself, and I wanna ask for you is, who are the witnesses in your life that are leading you closer and closer to Jesus Christ? Right now, who are they? And how are you learning from them? For me growing up, one of my heroes of faith was my grandmother by the grace of God. Um, she got called home last, uh, last year. I got to bury her. And it was a great joy to be at her funeral because I got to speak about how she inspired me in my own faith life. She was happily married in the Catholic Church for 63 years, part of the charismatic renewal, uh, very faithful to her daily rosary, daily mass. And every time I walked into her house, she was you know Native American, four foot eight, very short woman, but full of stature. Don't cross her or mess with her, right? But she always had a smile on her face. And she could eat more hot chilies than anyone I've ever met. <laughs> but she always had a loving disposition. She always had a joyful disposition. And she always had that sense uh, that she cared about you. Okay? And even in my journey of faith to, to priesthood and religious life, countless priests, countless sisters, seminarians, uh, uh, married couples in parishes that I've worked at have been models of, of encouragement and faith to me, witnesses of, of how awesome it is to be a Catholic Christian. So St. Paul is reminding us that we need to be witnesses. But how do we do that well for those of you that are on, on the road uh, to holiness? Okay? I think uh, Pope Francis has been reminding us again and again, do not be that Christian that is sad or miserable. So my own interpretation of that is don't be a Christian that has the look on your face like you've been baptized in lemon juice. Nobody wants to be around a miserable Christian. It's not fun. But what's intoxicating is being around Christians that are orthodox and joyful. People that love the faith, love the teachings of the church, but also are very human and humble and exciting and intoxicating to be around. So that's part one of that first reading. Part two, there's another group in that community that St. Paul is talking about, and he's calling them to be witnesses Uh, not to be spectators, and we love being spectators in our culture. Tomorrow night, I'm going to get the brothers, and we're going to watch how awful the Broncos are going to perform against the Kansas City Chiefs, right? And we love to sit back and watch that kind of thing. We love sports, we love movies, we love our popcorn, and we love to be entertained. But being a spectator in Christianity only brings you so far eventually Jesus Christ will call you by name and we'll call your number and he will say okay it's your turn to shine I want you on my field I want you in uh, the limelight to show others to be a witness to others of my transforming love for you and that's hard for us it's scary for us because a lot of us feel unworthy a lot of us feel insecure about our weaknesses our brokenness our sins uh, there was no more humbling experience for me as a friar. I've been in religious life for over 10 years. And one of the friars came to me and said, Brother, uh, we want you to be an example and be a formator for your friars, for the seminarians. And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. Uh, I'm still being formed. I'm still learning about holiness. I can't lead others in that way, right? And, and, and we have to overcome that. And so a wise friar came up to me. Uh, some of you know him, Father uh, Father John Lager, he said to me, Brother, maybe what the world uh, needs is not a perfect friar, uh, but a perfect trier. Okay? And that was, that was consoling to me, right? Uh, because uh, again and again, by the grace of God, He allows me to try to over, uh, overcome my weaknesses. And some of us have that, that insecurity struggle where. Uh, Well, until I master this particular sin or until I'm not in the confessional again and again, week after week, I can't serve God or I can't be a leader for his community. St. Paul said that is false. Because when you respond and you struggle and as a witness for others, you enable by your joy and your faith and your courage, a people that are far from God to come closer to Jesus Christ. That's the beauty of it, right? In our own Franciscan tradition, St. Francis was a profound sinner. If you go back and study his life, not the stained glass window St. Francis, but the actual historical St. Francis. Um, He said, if God can use me as a sinner, God can use anyone, okay? So we can't be afraid of our weaknesses, but let the power of the gospel and the power of Jesus attract others in our struggle and striving uh, for holiness, Lastly, the gospel to to come full circle. Again, two simple commandments, right? He says, love God, love your neighbor. And so what this challenged me to think about this week, if there's anything in my spiritual life, anything in my vocational life that's not leading me towards charity, what do I mean by that? Any of my daily practices, right? My Lectio, my Rosaries, my hour of daily prayer, adoration, my service, uh, my fraternal interactions, uh, my relationships, if any of those daily practices are not leading me to be more charitable, then we have to pump the brakes on some of that. We have to say, wait a minute, why is this not working? Why is this not allowing me? What is the proof in my behavior that I'm loving more and more like Jesus? And again, I know we hear this um, from this, you know, Father Brian preaches on this all the time. We confuse uh, the word love. The culture is so confused about what love is. And I think if we get clear in our minds what Christian love is, then it becomes a little bit more attainable, a little bit more practical. Christian love is sacrificial. It's willing the highest good of the person that I love and care about. The highest good that we can ever desire for a human being Is heaven. So notice what love is not. Love is not consuming, uh, my brother and sister, for my own pleasure. And and I'm speaking to uh, myself and also the single people in the room. There's a great struggle right now, an attack against our sexuality to consume one another. But Christian love is to say, no. I love you so much. And care about you so much that I want to respect your body and respect your immortal soul. Therefore, I'm going to be self-controlled and care about you and walk with you and journey with you all the way to heaven to the degree that Jesus Christ gives me strength. That's for the single people in the room and for us celibates. The others who are married, who have the call to vocation of marriage... Willing the good of the other is making sure your spouse is journeying with you every step of the way through mercy, through forgiveness, through your uh, dedicated uh, energy to attentiveness to the care of their needs, anticipating their needs day in and day out. That's primary. Secondary, if you have loved ones, relatives, people that have offended you, have have hurt you, or uh, brought some shame upon you or your family, to work on with the power and grace of Jesus Christ to give them forgiveness, to give them forgiveness. The final nuclear option, most of us don't experience persecution as Christians. Most of us are ignored at the most made fun of in the media, okay? None of us, I don't think, have ever been threatened by ISIS to lose our heads, okay? God forbid that ever comes here. But Jesus tells us that you and I, if we're willing to love like him, then we even have to love that radically for our enemies. Why? Because if we choose to love our enemies radically, it can become the means of their conversion. Go to the place of sacrifice of Calvary, the good thief. As Jesus is dying, bleeding out every orifice of his body, his uh, uh, lungs are being crushed with the weight of suffocation, his heart is on fire. For his father. His heart is alive for his people, and he's forgiving every breath that he takes. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And it allows and enables a thief, a criminal, to find mercy. And it even goes further than that. It ends, allows a pagan, a soldier that wants to kill Jesus, stabs him with a sword or with a spear, to find the font of grace. He said, truly, this is uh, the Lamb of God, okay? So we have to be careful when we get into those situations where we're bound by enemies to uh, try to wiggle out of our way, God is in control. God has placed us in those situations, and he promises to right those wrongs at the end of time. But you might just be the means of conversion for that person. Two things that the gospel reminds us of. So, my brothers and sisters this week i think we're invited to live more profoundly more intentionally uh, the love that jesus has won for us in, in christ jesus um, some of you in this room got to experience the Frasati um bas- basketball camp here at our lady of lords yesterday and uh, coach o'connor who's the vice principal here at the school Uh, gave us a really cool phrase about Jesus. He quoted Luke's gospel when Jesus told his disciples about his intent, his most passionate desire uh, to go to Jerusalem, right? That he intently set his will on going to Jerusalem. There was nothing that was going to stop him. There was nothing that was going to keep him in the way from being victorious in that way. Mr. O'Connor said Jesus went into beast mode, right? And that beast mode is an example to us of what it means to be passionate, to be loving, to be um, committed to not giving in to the temptations around us, to love, to love God, to sacrifice ourselves for the sake of others, and to love others, even those that we find difficult and hard to love. We need to pray for the grace, to go into spiritual beast mode. And then he pulled me aside after the mass at 8:45, and he said, "Father." It's also an an acronym, the the word B-E-A-S-T, if you pull it apart, it means be a saint, right? Be a saint. You and I are called to be saints in this generation, to give witness and testimony to the joy and the power of the gospel uh, for those in this generation that are finding it hard to believe. May Jesus in this Eucharist now um, direct our thoughts, our actions, and our behaviors and fill our spirits with deeper faith, hope, and love. Amen.